Here we are. Here we are. Ruby and I are recording for the first time from separate locations. So We are. Yeah, we just got comfortable with the equipment and now we've just shaken it up. Who who knows where this is going to lead? Honestly, like next one day we're sat on your floor we're recording. We just get used to audacity in the microphone as you say. And then COVID. And then oh no, sorry, can't see you for 2 weeks. And the next thing you know, um, I'm recording on my bed with uh, my extra tabletop as a desk, and you're in your bathtub I'm in, with many curtains yeah, around Yeah, I'm you. in my bathtub with lots of blankets. My bed duvet is hanging over the railing. Um, I have a white claw. Nice. So As you should. I'm feeling fancy. If the shower turns on randomly, we're screwed. It will be the building's full if the plumbing goes wrong right now. Like, it's not the building's fault. It's like, it's gonna happen, right? Because I'm sat in my bathtub. It would happen, and it, and it would happen with this time. two laptops and a microphone. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So that's kind of been our, our week. What a rush. <laughs> what? What a ride. <laughs> Am I right? I'm currently making a wig. It's killing me slowly on the, from the inside out but tying those hairs in single fashion one hair at a time we're getting we're getting there you're going to kill it you are killing it it looks great it's a glossy mane from what i've seen <laughs> that it is that it is yeah. what have you been doing this week how have you found ways to entertain yourself well just to specify we don't have covid that's not why we're separated yeah we should say we that we should say that i kind of just was we like we are healthy we're both healthy we are Unfortunately, someone that we both were in contact with was COVID positive. Luckily, everyone is okay. Everyone's fine. Everything is cured. And our isolation just ended not in time for us to record, edit, and send this baby to your ear holes. Exactly. So we're making it work. We, this is we are what they call it. on the fly. Yeah. And you know what? We're going to do great. It's all going to be G. Wow, I've never used the term G until this moment. I was moment. just going to say that. And I am, that was... I'm not starting at the sweet, tender age of fucking no. 25. <laughs> it's, all, it's all G, G. <laughs> um, I've been watching so much Parks and Rec <gasps> the past two days. Really? So that just... Yes, I've been binging Dude, it. Dude, just finished it. So that it. just reminded me of... Just... Of what's his name? Huh? Thomas. Yeah, Tommy? Tommy, Yeah. yeah. I love him. Tommy's Closet or whatever it is. <laughs> Who's your favorite character? Mm. See, I really like Larry, Gary, whatever his name is. I like just so bad. Just, Larry? Yeah, Larry. I just want to be his friend. I just think everyone's so mean to him and I just think he's so cute. But I love that he has like a hot wife and three gorgeous daughters and he lives the happiest life ever <laughs> and just like takes shit from people. Also love April. I love April and Andy when they got married in season one. I was like, oh, okay, this is going to be like a three episode thing. Love that relationship. I I also love April and Andy. I just love Aubrey Plaza. So yeah, I love her. Anything she does to me is she's amazing. She's my favorite person that's come from Delaware. Oh, from Delaware. Interesting. Yeah. Well, then she's mine too. Yeah. <laughs> so... Um, I think, I really like Leslie, to be honest with you. Yeah. I think she's just great. I think what I really enjoy about Parks and Rec, what I came to enjoy, because I watched the first three seasons, 
and I couldn't really get into it, and I took a long hiatus, and I thought it was funny, but it took until, like, season four for me after this long hiatus to be like, oh, now they've got it. Like, I think with, I mean, I'm no comedic writer, but I feel like with comedy shows, it takes, like, a season or two. I agree. Definitely true with The Office. Yeah. The Office, the the first season, to me, I was like, mm, I don't get it. But then the second season, I was like, this is pure gold. Oh and then uh, they're on. Uh, season three for The Amazing Office show. is my favorite by far. I totally agree with you with Parks and Rec because I did the same thing. I watched the first season like two years ago and I was like, nah, I'm still an Office fan. I can't get behind this one. That was me. But then recently I, I picked it back up and now I'm full force into it. I'm on season like something or other. Yeah. And I've been binging it. Dude, it's awesome. Parks and Rec gets so much better. And I just feel like what happened is that they were taking the piss out of Leslie all the time and they didn't know how to write mm-hmm. her. So they were, and like I said, I'm not a writer, but I just feel like they were laughing at her. And then they kind of, once they knew who Leslie was and knew how to write her and realized that she, like, let's use who she is to our benefit and let's not be against mm-hmm. her. And they started writing for her. I think that's when it started all to, like, come in, and then you start really liking Leslie now. And I was, like, emotional in some episodes, like, where she... Because she works so hard, and it's so admirable. She does, And she's so crazy, and it's so funny. She just cares. She's a big carer. Yeah, and I just... Yeah, I'm... Leslie, you know, for president. Although, to be fair... Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. But also, to be fair, I do really like in season one when she goes to her mom's, like, that gala... And she dress she dresses up, but she's in like this tuxedo, and she tells Anne to dress up like to like really nice. She was like, "This is like the Oscars of the <laughs> government." And then she wears like this prom dress, and everyone thinks that they're a lesbian couple yeah. because she also goes to this like male barber shop to get her hair done for the night. And her mom's like, "Where did you go?" And she's like, "I went to Salt's." Her mom's like, "Isn't that a male barber shop? Usually he only does men." And Leslie's like, "Yeah." Yeah, but he made an exception for me. <laughs> oh my like... god, that's so funny. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And, like, not as well as, like, I love the pit and, like, Andy falling into the pit and, like, living in the pit. <laughs> it was what me and James had nicknamed our mattress for a time. I remember that. Yeah. I remember and we were singing, I fell in the pit, like, every time getting into bed because it was like. You're, if I didn't have scoliosis before, I fucking have it now. I can tell you that much, friend. Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah. Oh wow, what an amazing tangent and opening to episode three. Nothing to nothing to do with thriller, but you know, we're really just a total opposite. But we're events. like we're we're season two. Like, what do you freaking expect, guys? You knew what you, as soon as you press play, you knew what you're in for. <laughs> You knew what you signed up for. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, episode three. Here we go, big boys. Oh, one more thing. White Claw, as I drink one from my bathtub of luxury. Sound like a fucking Mm. robot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just sipping away on my beverage. Um, I saw this really funny post, and it was this dad, and it was, like, this tweet, and this woman, this, like, his daughter, I'm guessing, was like, my dad's been... taking a, my dad thought White Claw were like LaCroix or like LaCrocs or whatever. Oh, so no. he's been driving to work and cracking a White Claw every morning. <laughs> oh my god. Papa no! Papa! Hey, papi! Uh, you know what? I tried White Claw. I couldn't get behind them. You know, it's a hit or miss for me. 
I, I actually have several cans in my fridge that have been in there uh, for the better part of a year, mm. I would say. So if you want them, help yourself. I'll take them off your hands. They have a flavor called Ruby Grapefruit, and I'm, I have to get behind anything that represents me in good form. Sparkling and 0% intelligence. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Okay, so let's get on the topic of thriller, I guess. Yes, let's get on to that. Sweet, sweet thriller. As you know, I'm not a huge horror fan. I'm not a scary movie fan. Yeah, it was... But I do like thrillers. It's actually interesting. I really like scary books. Hate scary films. Really? I find books far more terrifying to read. That's fair. Period. Doesn't have to be about... (laughs) Doesn't have to be about horror. Any book. Doesn't matter the genre. I hate all books. I don't read. I actually have never learned. (laughs) Zero percent. Just like I said. Yeah, no. I kind of gathered that you had watched maybe a lot of like horror-based thrillers because I feel like thriller comes into the like slash category of something like thriller horror or thriller mystery or thriller crime psychological yeah yeah definitely and I you were like like, naming films to me and I was like I think that's more of an adventure film (laughs) oh (laughs) you were like oh Uh, (laughs) so that so I can't do that okay yeah there was one that was really good I think it was oh yeah uncut gems and I was like I don't think that's a thriller (laughs) <laughs> I it's a it's a it's a a dark comedy and yep. dark could could fall into the th- thriller category. Hey, it's film, so you whatever know, you perceive I, it as at the end of the day. I just I thought it was good. Um you you said no. I so. saw the Teletubbies could be kind of scary when I was a kid, so, you know. Which is fine. Oh, you know what? I thought that freaking what's her name? Cruella DeVille, scariest woman on the planet. Funny how you grow up to look like her. I'm so sorry, that was so horrible. <laughs> Buffy just stared at me through so the Google true. Hangouts video, just like, you little bitch. I would drown you if that buffed up will fall. I'll be on the phone with your landlord getting that shower turned on <laughs> any minute now. You don't look like quite a little bit. If anything, I look uh, like that little crazy Scottish dog. Oh wait, that's from Lady and the Tramp. Different movie, different, <laughs> sorry, similar themes, dogs. No, if we're anything, we're the Siamese twins from Lady and the Tramp. Fuck, they're terrifying. They are terrifying, but that's us. Yeah, I was thinking more like Tweedledee, Tweedledum, Alice in Wonderland, but I like the... Oh, that that too. Also, I kind of think that the cats are a bit racist, if I'm being totally honest. Oh, really? I can't remember the movie I, that well. I find them a little... On the fence. I like that I can't remember the Siamese twins, but I can remember the Scotty dog. <laughs> uh, well, if you're a dog, we already discussed that you're a Mitzi, so. Yeah, what kind is... Kind of the Scotty dog. A Mitzi dog, for anyone that doesn't know, is like a Shih Tzu with a bow in its hair, whose, like, tongue is constantly <laughs> hanging out, and it just has really bad it's breath. It's like 16 years old. Yeah, like, <laughs> it, I love old dogs, as does Buffy, but it's just kind of one of those dogs that you're like, is it okay? It's kind of like hanging onto an IV drip, and it's like... <laughs> And it's like growls anytime you put your hand in its vicinity yeah, to pet it. Its eyes are glazed with cataracts. <laughs> so that's what I look like. It eats like chicken. Yeah. For treats. Yeah. So <laughs> anyone that doesn't know what we look like, I hope you have the most delightful image in your head right now. Corella Deville and Mitzi. Yeah. I really thought, you know, okay, going back to the bathtub, and I guess. <laughs> I was, we were, like, demoralizing me as a dog, like, taking me out of human form and putting me into <laughs> a four-legged creature, and now I'm thinking of, like, where I am, I'm in the bathtub with blankets hanging everywhere, I'm, like, I'm 25, and I'm just, like, 
I just wonder what people in England think. They probably thought I left for the better and I'm this glamorous makeup artist working on film. Not at all. I'm right here. Humble as ever. Oh. And failing. <laughs> yeah. No, I I mean, yeah, people from my small town of Newfoundland probably li- listen to this and they're like, oh. Oh, poor her. Her Instagram says differently. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we're very transparent. And you know what, friend? We're doing well for ourselves. None of this uh, dumbfounded nonsense. Yeah, like we're we're strong, intelligent women that are working in our career, and we're doing great. Give me something. Oh, Don't. That was a long. No, you're being pause. Serious. I am being serious. <laughs> I'm really trying to boost us up here. I'm done with the negativity. I'm raising up. Oh, it's true. My spirit. It's true. I have to say, I am proud of my us. My spirit has left Mitzi and is like, "You are a human." Yes. I've had good. half a glass. This isn't good. We should talk. Oh, yeah. There's going to be a lot of cutting. There's going to be a lot of editing. (laughs) I'm editing this week, honey. Don't you worry. I'm leaving it all in. Don't you worry. Let's keep on going. But first, enjoy this ass and this ma. I don't know if they could hear it. That that was beautiful. Just to clarify, that was not Ruby peeing. (laughs) That was her pouring a drink. (laughs) Just, like, letting go. I'm in the bathtub. It's fine. Just a disclaimer. Um... Honestly, the commute to the toilet from my new office, impeccable. Just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Yeah. Yeah, so back to thriller. I really enjoy a good thriller, especially a crime thriller. Oh, crime thrillers, if I had to pick my favorite genre of thriller, crime thrillers are definitely my favorite. Mm-hmm. I love the mystery ones. I love the, the whodunits. Yep. You know? Yep, I agree. Love those ones. Huge fans. Um, yes. Tell me what you're doing. I seem to have forgotten. That is okay. Here I go. Episode 2, Season 2, Thriller. I'm bringing you... Episode three, but it's... Oh, shit. Yeah, it's episode three. Yeah, <laughs> God damn it. My notes are wrong. Hold on. <laughs> um, okay, so after that embarrassing introduction, I will be doing Nocturnal Animals. Ah. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited. I, re- I was worried that there wouldn't be enough makeup on it, and I hope that what I've gathered is enough. You will be the telltale of that. Shame me, if you will. Um, I will be the greater. <laughs> but, um, I, yeah, I I really love this film, and I haven't watched it in a while, and researching it just kind of brought back a lot of, oh, fuck yeah. I think I've sworn, like, so much in less than 20 minutes, so I'm sorry to anyone that hates me. Um, we do mark these explicit, so uh, that is us washing our hands of any responsibility. And that's just, like, Buffy looking out for me, really, because she's legally so good. Legal standpoint. Yeah. You never swear, and I'm here like, fucking this and fucking that, and freaking, like, not, like, the context of the word has so much weight, and I'm just throwing it away. No, I, I disagree, I disagree. Yeah? I think it goes along with your British bit. Ah, the British bit. (laughs) (laughs) What a splendor. Okay, do you want to, that you are. Do you want to tell me what you're doing, friend? Yes, okay, so you're doing Nocturnal Animals, great film. Thank you. I am doing... Gone Girl. Great film. Also great book. Oh, fantastic. I'm very excited to talk about this movie. Um, One, because I just really like the story. Two, because... Well, that's all. I just really like the story. Did you read the book first? No, I didn't. I I watched the movie first, and then I read the book. But I think I like the book more. I've I've heard that opinion, yep. But um, all around, just great material. These are some strong films we got coming. Yeah, this is going to be a good episode. Strap yourselves in. Buckle up. Okay, friend, do you want to you go first? Do you want to go first? I feel like I always go first. I kind of like it. You know what? We're creatures of habit. 
Oh, okay. That sounds good to me. Okay, if you're ready. You know, I do love I do love a good routine, as we've talked about. Yep, this is it. I'm providing for you. You are the Anne to my Leslie. Oh, what a sweet sentiment. Thank you. Love you. Love you, too. Okay. Go get him. Let's begin. Go get him, <laughs> Tiger. So, Gone Girl. Great film. Obviously, we are talking thrillers. There's going to be some spoilers. I'm just going to put that out there. If you plan on reading the book or watching the movie, probably this is not the episode for you. Luckily, we have 15 more that you can help yourself to. On that note, let's begin. Gone Girl came out in 2014. It is directed by David Fincher, whose work actually you might recognize on movies like Seven and Zodiac. Also some great thrillers. Uh, so that guy, you know, man knows mystery, basically. He's... I love a Fincher movie. He loves a good plot twist, if you will. So onto the makeup team. Leading the department, we have Kate Bisco as the department head. And when I went onto this film's IMDb page... Gigi Williams is credited as the assistant department head, so I just want to make sure I say that. I don't know at what capacity that means, but obviously she was important. So, Kate Bisco, Gigi Williams, or gals. You don't know what Gone Girl's about. Let me give you a little synopsis. Let me get you caught up to the T. So, it takes place in Cart... I'm going to... Cart Rage? Cart Hedge? Missouri? Is it in Delaware? (laughs) Ah, they wish. Uh, no, it's in Missouri, actually. <laughs> and former... Uh-huh. Oh. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't have replied like that. I don't know why. I don't why. know why either. Missouri doesn't sound like a sexy place, to be honest with you. It sounds like misery, if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> former New York-based writer Nick Dunn, which is played by Ben... Who is paid, played by Ben Affleck, and his gorgeous wife Amy, played by Rosamund Pike, present a portrait of a blissful marriage to the public. However, when Amy goes missing on the couple's fifth anniversary... Nick becomes the primary suspect in her disappearance. The resulting police pressure and media frenzy caused the Dunn's image of a happy union to crumble, leading to a tantalizing questions about who Nick and Amy truly are. And imagine the tension that this story has. Husband versus wife. It is thick with marinara <laughs> sauce. Like, it is a spicy sauce that this couple... They... Yeah, and I think what's really good about this story, at least coming from the book perspective anyway, they do a very good job at, it, which is written by, I should say, by Gillian Flynn, is the author of the book, which the movie is based on. Um, she does a really good job of building the tension through the story. It starts off very, like, fine, everything looks fine. She does a very good job at making the Amy seem like she's a great wife, and that Nick is the bad guy, and then she does a very good job at slowly giving you the tea. I desperately want to rewatch you it. You should. Catch yourself up. It's great. It's a great time. Uh, so as I said before, Kate Bisco is the department head. Her work includes some really cool projects like Vice, for which she actually shared an Oscar with Greg Canham and Patricia Dehenny. Um, in 2018, she worked on Sharp Objects with Amy Adams. And she was actually Amy Adams' personal for that. Very fun. I thought that was that was cool. In 2020, she worked with Ben Affleck again on The Last Thing He Wanted as his personal artist. So she's she's worked with Ben Affleck a few times. 
She's a liked lady. She is. And a little fun fact for the fellow Canadians listening, she actually moved to Montreal in the late 80s to study French Lit at McGill University in Montreal, which I already said Montreal, but whatever. Yeah, she said she liked it. She liked Montreal a lot. Which, honestly, who doesn't? Montreal's such a cool city. Dude, I've never been. I desperately want to go. Ah, you gotta go. It's so pretty. First of all, gorgeous city. Second of all, well, that's, I mean, there's always something to do. They have Oceaga. Am I too old to go to Oceaga? I had an Oceaga in England, too. I didn't realize that was, like, an international... That's like a club, right? Like a giant club? It's a music festival. Oh, no. Ours was, like, a, like, giant club. Oh, oh. Right. Interesting. We have festivals, too. I think we have very impressive UK festivals. I've heard. I've heard that you guys do that. Okay. Back to Missouri. Where were we? Ah, yes. Designing the film. So, Rosamund Pike, um, as I said before, she plays um, Amy Dunn, who is the wife who goes missing. So, Fincher wanted her to look, quote-unquote, very Carol Bissett Kennedy vibe and be as absolutely porcelain as possible. Grace Kelly, Faye Dunaway, those were our references. That is a quote I found from Bisco. Nice. So, I'm, I'm thinking this is probably because... Amy's meant to be, she's, they're kind, she's kind of presented as this, like, squeaky clean New York elite lady who, you know, is just, like, the ideal woman, basically. The ideal wife. And she has, like, this, actually this really amazing monologue. We were talking about this earlier today. Yeah. Um, where she basically dissects the cool girl trope. Um, like, quote-unquote cool, cool girl. And what she says, actually, quite true. It is really quite resonates. True. Yeah, it does. There's this idea of women presented in film as, like, um, you know, the character that the woman that the girl next door, everybody wants her. She never gains weight. She's one of the boys. She plays sports. She goes out all night. She doesn't care if you go out with other girls, whatever. Um, I'm a cool girl. I'm a cool girl. Yeah, exactly. I'm I'm not a cool girl. I don't really care to be either. Me neither. I... I, I used think to. It would be a lot of work. I yeah, same. It seems exhausting. Seventeen year old me was deep in the cool girl. Oh hell yeah. Whether or not I succeeded is to be determined. I think I tried to. It, it's it's really a coming of age thing. So on that path, those kind of references that she was given, mm. she wanted to make sure that Rosalind looked as unblemished and clean as possible. So she made, she also wanted her to look very, like I said, porcelain, using mainly concealer pens by the company By Terry, which was actually a company that Pike recommended to Bisco at the beginning of filming. And apparently she loves them. She uses them all the time now. By Terry is awesome. Have you used it? Okay, I haven't. Okay, so we had an actress when I was working at the BBC that had it, and I thoroughly enjoyed like, seeing it on camera, applying it, and I it's on my list of what I want to buy to purchase and put on myself and having my kit. I just really love the translucency, and, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of By Terry. I think they're awesome. I haven't used much of their stuff, and I haven't used it in years. It was the last time was in England, but, um, yeah, I definitely think for her look, I can understand why that product would have been used. Yeah, and, like, the... Using mainly concealers and avoiding foundations, I think, keeps her looking very, like, natural and very effortlessly pretty. I think that's what they were going for with her character. Stereotypical cool girl. Exactly. Someone who doesn't have to try, and they're just, like, the ideal woman. Wearing makeup, but people think she's not wearing makeup. Exactly. Exactly. 
And then on top of that, she'd also get some individual lashes that would be set on her outer corner just to, again, that naturally effortless beauty kind of thing. Yeah. And that was kind of what I found for her makeup. I do have a feeling that as the film progresses, um, they probably would have broken down this makeup as she's, uh, again, spoilers, as she's on the run and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I think that um, establishing her as this, like, very classically pretty woman gives you a lot of room to kind of start taking things away from that design yeah, and break her down, you know? And it also would reflect how she would probably feeling on the inside a bit more. So I'm just going to look at another important female character who I found was interesting. Uh, the character of Andy Fitzgerald, who's played by Emily Ratajkowski. Mm. Yes. For those of you who don't know, once again, spoilers. Big spoiler about to come. Skip ahead. The character, the character of Andy is Nick's mistress. So she's a college student who Nick is teaching at the local community college, and they develop a relationship. Wah wah wee wah. Big time wah wah wee wah. Big time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Naughty naughty. So yeah, so he's her professor. She's a student. Very naughty naughty. He's married. That's all I can say. Yep. So, being that she's meant to be in college, and so she's obviously supposed to be a younger character, Bisco wanted to set her apart from Amy. She wanted her done up comparatively, but also still reflecting that kind of Missouri style where the story takes place. So her and her team actually went around to the extras and the kids in the town, they shot the film in Missouri. So they went around to the extras and Missouri locals and asked what kind of makeup they liked and what kind of... Um, styles they liked and all that kind of stuff. And then they also took a bunch of pictures of their nail polish um, to establish what the local style would be. And they found that a lot of people liked Urban Decay palettes, which they incorporated into the character of Andy. And they also found that a lot of girls wore those acrylic pink tips, which they ended up putting on a lot of their women that came through the trailer. Um, But for Emily, they wanted her to be a little bit different, so they ended up going with a frosty pink polish. You kind of with subconsciously associate that with more of like a a girlish style I think yeah I hear what you're saying and I agree does that make sense yeah Um, so then they also wanted to build contrast in Andy's looks because at the beginning when we first meet her um she's Nick's mistress so she's um, naughty naughty once more (laughs) sorry naughty not throw it in one more time (laughs) um so you know you want to have her looking like very wow 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 Um, and then later on in the story, Andy ends up coming forward and exposing her affair with Nick to the media. So for those scenes, Bisco wanted her to look younger, wanted her to look more innocent, kind of because in the story, that is kind of a turning point in the narrative against Nick and his innocence. Big turning point there. So to do that, she applied a really, she kept her very natural, only applying a small amount of pink to her lips and the center of her cheeks and that kind of lended itself to this more innocent childlike appearance um, so which helped with the story they were doing that classic and i mean they were doing it intentionally that classic uh let's over sexualize an older woman to appear younger with emily radikowski yeah but like in a good way i don't mean that as a negative i'm not saying that it was like you know an ariana grande thing where they're like let's put her Mm -hmm. in bunny ears and make her jump around but she's a 25 year old woman (laughs) do you know what i mean like it was more like we're 
highlighting these stereotypical values of a younger, like, sultry woman. Yeah, exactly. And I think they wanted, you know, because in the story, the media really takes Andy's side, and they really, like, really hate Nick. So um, I think they wanted to be able to kind of, like, in her looks, be like, oh, look, Andy is sweet little flower who Nick abused and took advantage of, and she's just this young college student. When, when we meet her early in the story, she's actually quite... She knows what she's doing. Yes. Yeah. She knows what she's doing and she's okay with it. The women are smart in this film. They all are. That is one really good thing with this film. There's a lot of really great female characters. I mean, they're master manipulators, but... <laughs> all of them, yes. Yeah. Like, and I'm not... Nick is kind of like a fly in their traps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying all women are like that by any means, but I love this film because... You know, I feel like these characters are written for men, and I like that it was a woman that was... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah when... Oh, commonly, the manipulative character is often a man manipulating a woman. I think that's, like, a common trope we see. And so that was one really cool thing about this film, is it kind of flips the narrative on its head and says, no, this is a man getting manipulated by several women in his life. Yeah. And they're very good at it. hmm Specifically, Amy. The wife. Yeah, she's, uh, she's kind of crazy. I would say that, yes. Yeah. She is quite crazy. She goes to some extreme lengths, needless to say. <laughs> um, one last, on the note of female characters, I'm just going to touch on one more. Um, Margot Dunn, who's played by Carrie Coon, and she is meant to be Nick Dunn's twin sister in the story. And, um, I found a article, basically, of Bisco talking about her, and apparently in the script she's described as nerdy hot. Nerdy hot? that was kind of a funny character description. Yeah, that sounds like a casting call where they're like intelligent bimbo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're like, okay. Be like a working wife who has five kids but is a size zero and runs a law office but also is really dumb. Can you do that? But Can like, you kind of make that happen for be us? Be a nurse and you're saving a life but you gotta do it sexy. Um, And, you know, don't forget you dropped your scalpel Pick it up slowly, but then but then save his life. But then you're going to cry. You're going to cry a couple scenes later about it into um, your male doctor's shoulder. Yes. Again, great great thing that Gone Girl does is they make... It's very obvious that the women know what they're doing in the story. Nice. Which I like. I'm, I liked it. Literally, after we finish recording, I'm going to go watch it. I'm happy that I've inspired you. Every day. Oh, stop it. You're so kind. You inspire me. I went blonde. For you. Wow. <laughs> wah wah wee wah times two. The truth is coming out. <laughs> what a ride you guys are coming on. Thanks for joining this effortless love story. <laughs> yes. It's an, it's a love story in the making. Yep. Um, okay, where was <laughs> Right, nerdy hot. With a smoky eye and reddish lip. So that is kind of what Bisco had to work with. I, what I thought was kind of cool, something I found out about this character, is the team actually made up a whole bunch of tattoos for her. Those were referenced to Patti Smith. And the transfers were all designed by Gigi Williams, who, as I said earlier, is the assistant department head. Awesome. And they're in reference to Patti Smith, like the poet and musician. Yes. That's awesome. P-A-T-T-I. Yeah, Patti Smith. That's really yeah, cool. That's cool. I like that they gave her a bit of a backstory there as well, like her history of interests. Yeah, and I think, like, they do a good, I mean, to their credit, they do a great job at making her nerdy hot. She is, like, she kind of has this, like, geeky style but also she's got these badass tattoos, and, you know, so she's kind of like a great combo there. I love um, applying tattoos. Same. Yeah, I have never same. made one, 
but I love applying them, and I think people that make them are, and illustrate them. Ah, crazy. The talent. It is crazy. I also love applying them. They're super quick and easy. And Effective. Quite fun. I've applied many tattoos on myself. I've made tattoos only to apply on myself. Awesome. They didn't look good. They did not look good, but it was fun. Yeah. That's really all that matters, I think. I agree. There we have it. <laughs> uh, to wrap up, this film does have some bloody scenes, um, and I found a great little excerpt of Bisco talking about her blood work uh, alongside Fincher, the director. So she was asked, when creating blood, the most challenge is creating blood the most challenging part of working on the film? And she said, no, I actually deal with blood all the time. Trying to find a blood that Fincher likes, that was challenging. He would always tease me in the beginning and go, no, no, it's not right. I think we should just use pig's blood. And then he'd walk away. And I would be like, is he serious? Are we using pig's blood? We're not using pig's blood. So I literally went through every single blood I could find in the industry and I'd bring him over to the sink, and I'd splatter the blood in the sink, and then finally we found one he liked, and I was like, phew, we're not using pink's blood. Oh my god. I've, I know. Like David Fincher being like, I don't like this. I don't like this. Let's just use pig's blood. And walking away. I think we should just go pig's blood. And yeah. And can you, you're like, is that a joke? Yeah. Is he being, is he being serious? When will it end? <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that was kind of funny. I like that. Um, and that's pretty much all I've got for you for this one. Venture, you sly dog. You sly, sly dog. That was great. I thoroughly enjoyed that. That was a cool little thriller. I'm so ready to watch Gone Girl now. I'm so happy for you. And I hope that you now, when you watch it, you look at the makeup and you say, uh-huh, I understand. So I have one really important question, though. So do we see Ben Affleck's back in this movie? Oh, that is a very good question, because he has that crazy back tattoo. He has that weird phoenix bird. Yes. I'm guessing he does. no. I, oh God, I, don't, I, can't I don't think he does, because you definitely want to hide that tattoo. Sorry, Ben Affleck. What the fuck was that about? <laughs> but sure. I mean, you have every right to put whatever you want on your body. No judgment. But that was a shock when I saw those photos of him at the beach. With his little towel, and he's like debating his whole life. Yeah, all Affleck. You know what? I, I I don't think he even had it in the at the time that they were shooting this film. Anyway, that's a modern tattoo. I just I just did a quick Google, and now the times are very close, so he might have had it. But according to Google, the first time that anyone saw his tattoo was in 2015 at the beach, mm. and that was the first time we saw it. This film came out in 2014, which would make me think that it was probably shot sometime around 2012-2013 Yeah, for a 2014 release, yeah. meaning he may not have had the tattoo. He might have gotten it after. That's really sad if that's what he spent his paycheck on, for one. I was hoping that <laughs> tattoo would be from, like, the fucking 80s or some bad phase. I don't know. Um... Again, like, totally okay. Whatever you want to put in your body, I'm here for it. But if you haven't seen Ben Affleck's tattoo, I, I strongly object. I'm just not a fan. <laughs> you know what's so funny, too? I'm, like, reading this little... I found this, like, little art article on the tattoo. So I guess when the paparazzi photos first leaked of his tattoo... <laughs> his phoenix. He... <laughs> yeah. He denied that the tattoo was real, claiming instead it was a temporary piece of back art that he was sporting for the movie. What movie? And that movie be... That movie being a passion project in Live By Night. If you know more about this passion so. project of Affleck's, pre please tell us more. <laughs> also, if you know more about this back tattoo, 
I'm at, I'm invested at this point. Cut to like years down the line. I'm somehow sat across from Ben Affleck, and I'm like Ben, 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 Ben. I'm supposed to interview you today, or I'm supposed to do your makeup. That seems more logical. I am a makeup artist. Oh. I'm- God, he denied it so many times. I'm so sorry. I'm just reading more into this Why whole... Why deny it? T- back tattoo gate. You've got a oh, giant yeah. tattoo. It's basically like, you know, similar to having a child. I actually don't like that I comparison mean, that I just made, but like, do you know what I mean? It's permanent. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't even know what it is. It's definitely a phoenix, and it appears as though the phoenix is fighting something or someone... Um, maybe he's carrying something like a bobsled. It's an upside-down bird. The bird is carrying a bobsled? Yeah, the bird or the phoenix. I'm very disoriented. Wow. But, uh, apparently, yeah, I just found another thing saying in an interview in March 2016, he continued to deny the tattoo was real. After plenty of speculation, it turns out it is indeed real, and Affleck came clean during an interview with Ellen DeGeneres in 2019. Wow, so he just finally... So he denied it for four years. Four years! Oh my god. <laughs> he, told, he told people this. How embarrassed do you have to be of your tattoo if for four years of your life you're telling the public it's a fake tattoo? You're just like, I don't know what you're talking about. But like, Ben, we have the photos. Like I'm saying, when I'm like his makeup artist far, far in the future, and I'll be like, Ben, Ben, Ben. What are you doing? What happened in 2015? <laughs> what made you do this to your body? I'd be like, let's see it. I need it. I need it. You can't hide from me, Sonny. And he'll be like... <laughs> We've got... He's got like 20 years on me, but he'll get. we'll have a bond like no other. I'll bring him out of his depressive pit. Oh my god. My, my partner loves to make fun of Ben Affleck. He, he recently, I guess during quarantine, there's some photos taken of Ben Affleck by paparazzi of him picking up some Dunkin' Donuts coffee and he drops them all and... <laughs> Oh, God, I've seen the image. It's, it's, you know, it's a rough image. I feel really bad for celebrities who have to deal with paparazzi. I should say that. I don't think it's fair that they have to, like, live their life in front of a camera the whole time. And I think that everybody deserves privacy. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And also, like, no wonder you're in a depressive state. I would be. Yeah, everything you do is documented. You go to the grocery store. It's, you know, it would, I would be super annoyed. That being said, the photos are quite something. They are. They're just, oh, I hate to say it, but there's a lot of humor. <laughs> I really hope he seeks help. I think he needs it. I really I hope do. there's one point in Ben Affleck's life where he turns around and he's like, you know what, I'm happy. Because I don't see it in his eyes ever. <laughs> oh, God, Ben Affleck. Oh, God. Oh, there's just, I mean, I, why did you lie about <laughs> your, t- oh, I, I found out, actually, I just found out why. Would you like to why know? Why did he lie? He says... <laughs> He says, I resented that somebody got a picture of it by spying on me, Affleck told the Times in a candid interview. The actor was referencing, referring to the instantly famous paparazzi shot of his colorful back ink and the phoenix taking flight. Oh, it's taking flight. It's not riding a bobsleigh. Oh, God. He he got it during his divorce. Oh, there we go. There's the topper. That's where it is. (laughs) That's really... That's all we... That's why... So and hey, that. like, I'm sorry, but I think he cheated on his ex-wife. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. I like how you whispered that. Yeah, I think he did. So. <laughs> There's a lot that can be said about Ben Him Affleck, and that tattoo were with. paired from the get-go. You could almost say they were made for each they other. They really gravitated towards. It's, 
Is he the phoenix? I think he sees himself as the phoenix and the world the fake Bob's life. <laughs> He, ha- he is yet to rise from the ashes, but... He will. His time His time will come. It's been five years, and it's been two <laughs> years of him finally admitting that there is a phoenix in his ba- on his back. You know, to his credit, I have to say, four years of denying that you... That the tattoo, that takes a lot of commitment. And that's a huge tattoo. That's no tank tops, no <laughs> short t-shirts, no beach days. That takes a lot of planning. So, and he um, fucked up at the first part and then thought, damn it, the world has seen. I now need to go into hiding. My back won't see daylight. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, I just can't even. I can't. I can't with him. I heard he's got a gambling yes. problem. <laughs> Let's just shit on Let's... him for the next hour. <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to Blush and Stuff. This is a I Hate Ben Affleck podcast. <laughs> An ode to our hatred. Okay, and now, no, like, we don't we don't hate him. You, you know but. what? I'm just gonna bring up Batman too. I'm so happy that's being swept under the rug. What happened in Batman? Who did he play? Did he play Batman? He was Batman, friend. What? Yeah, it like came and went, but like, yeah. Oh my God! What has he not done? <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> he's got the bad tattoo. He's got the gambling. He cheated on his wife, and he played Batman. He can't carry four coffees. No, he can't carry four copies from Dunkin' Donuts. And on that note, case closed. Ben Affleck, go about your life. We wish you happiness, and I'm sorry that you are you. Good night. And that's... How old... Before we end this, how old is Ben Affleck? What's a star sign? What is, I want to know that. Oh, he's he's definitely like yeah, like a Leo or a Sagittarius. Excuse some kind me, of I'm a Sagittarius. So, what do you got against Saggies? Well, I rest my Saggies. case. I rest my case. <laughs> Saggies. Is that what you call yourself? That's my... There you go. I just proved my point. Uh, oh, he's 40. Oh, he's a Leo. Oh. There you go. I called mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. He is... You know, if there's one sign, I can always... I can always nail. It is the sign of the Leo. I don't know what gift I've been given, but I know a Leo when I see one. I do one. too. I do too. And he's a freaking Leo. Yeah. How old is he? 40? Dude, he's 40. He's 48. 48. So he got that back tattoo at like early 40s. That's perfect time for midlife if, crisis. I was just going to say, if that's not a midlife crisis, I don't know what and it is. And a divorce. I bet he... Getting a divorce. Definitely. Gets a huge back tattoo. Definitely, definitely brought like a Lamborghini that month too. Yes, apparently he was dating a, a 30-year-old for a while, but they've broken up since then. Yeah, I mean, you know what, when it comes to age and relationships, if they're both happy, that's all right. You know, she's 30. I mean, it's an 18-year gap, but uh, I could just shit on him all day. I'm really trying hard not to. Yes, he is easy to shit on. But saying that, still watch Gone Girl. Yeah, uh, like I said, the the female characters are really what sell that film. I mean, he's whatever. He's pathetic in it, so it's really fun. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You know what? He probably didn't have to do a whole lot of acting in that film. <laughs> he just walked in the makeup chair and was like, "You know what? I just no, just just don't let anyone see my fucking back tattoo." All right, all right. Oh God! No, he got it after. Oh. Honestly, I've forgotten all about him already. That's how fucking memorable he is. God, we're so. You know what? I just find so funny too. The photos of him at the beach where he has the towel wrapped around his, and he's kind of just staring out at the water. Yeah, and he's, he's like probably thinking to himself. Where did I go wrong? Where did I fall? Ben oh. Affleck, I'm, I hope you're all right. And also, Jennifer Gardner, I'm glad you got out when you did. Yeah.
are again, my friends. We are picking this up on a separate day after having some life difficulties and then technical difficulties. It's been Here a we are. It's been a ride for three days. This episode has has taken a toll on us, but it will not beat us. No, it shall not. The hustle. The hustle yeah. is under our belt and we are riding with the horses. <laughs> we are the horses. <laughs> um so if we sound differently than what we did the first half of this episode, it's because it's a different day. And guys, we're also doing this separately, okay? You don't understand how, like, off-putting and strenuous this has been for us. Recording a podcast and not being with your co-host turns out quite difficult. <laughs> I admire all the podcasts that do that and have done from the start. Like, I just... L- lots of appreciation and admiration. I definitely am someone that needs to be in Seriously. physical <laughs> reach of Buffy. <laughs> um, yeah, but, she's poor Sagittarius. Yeah, I actually watch Gone Girl. <laughs> and yeah, so I was like listening back to what we recorded and we like roast the yes, fuck out yeah. of Ben Affleck. And <laughs> Sorry, Ben Affleck. You know what? We don't know what's going on in your life. And the trials and tribulations that you're facing. Um, Don't hate us. (laughs) It literally goes on for so long. I was listening back and just being like, oh my, when did this become a roast? Um, But I also, it spurred me to watch Gone Girl, what I'm so happy I did. And I was watching Gone Girl and James, my partner, comes home. And then he proceeds to tell me that if I was ever in a film, I would be Amazing Amy, Amy like, the main chick in Gone Girl, and I was like, oh, great, and you, yeah, very interesting. Is James Ben Affleck? Is James Nick? No, no, I don't think so. I think that was just like, yeah, this is definitely, like, if you were an actor, this would be your role, and I was like, hmm, and you know what? I'm not mad about it. She's a very dynamic character. There's a lot of layers to that, so yeah. in a way, that's a very big compliment. Yeah. Also, Rosamund Pike, beautiful. Oh, ageless true yeah yeah so take that as you will for people that don't know me i guess on that note we ruby and i were talking since she i haven't watched the movie in a hot minute um and ruby being that she just watched it she was telling me that the character of margot um nick's twin sister and who owns the bar with him in the film she does not have tattoos which upon reviewing my notes and my sources I do have a clear quote of Kate Bisco, the department head, talking about the tattoos for Margot. So what we think may have happened with that is sometimes you design things for characters and you make them, and when it comes to the shooting day, they just don't end up playing for a number of reasons. Maybe the director decides that he doesn't like them, or the producers, or... Maybe the makeup department just decides that it's not what they thought it would look like and it doesn't work for the character. So it happens all the time. But either way, the tattoos that they planned on using did not get used. Mm. But her very... She is different, even in her facial makeup, what points you um, talked about as well. Like, she is a bit more grungy than the other women that are represented in the film. She has a lot more relation to that... um, uh, kind of the deputy and the sheriff so you can see that she's like a local Mm -hmm. 
person in that community I feel like definitely I think she I think mm -hmm. she fits in really well being Nick's twin sister as well with that kind of grungy look because he is a bit of a grungy man if you will especially I think there's like a lot of history between both of the two protagonists that we just don't know anything about yeah definitely I think like you see he's he doesn't come from the same society that Amy comes from if you will Amy is, like, very mm-hmm. elite New Yorkist, New York, and Nick is, like, small town Missouri, um, and I think yeah. that we really see where he comes from and his story through Margot, his sister. Yeah, absolutely. I think she grounds him quite a lot. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I think that, as a viewer, she's a reminder of where Nick's character is from, and even though he moved to New York and he tried to embrace this lifestyle that Amy has... Um, and the money that she has and, you know, her parents and all this stuff. There's this really great quote in it that, um, Amy, um, says to Nick in the movie. And she's like, you only liked yourself when you were trying to get to my level. Yeah. Like, when he was trying to be good enough for her. Yeah, exactly. she was like, that was, yeah. And I was like, oh, ah. Right to the heart. The drama. Also, there's a really interesting monologue, um, where she talks about, meeting him for the first time and how he's like nothing Mm -hmm. like the other guys that she's dated and that he's like slowly Mm -hmm. as the relationship goes on you see that that part like who he was when they met is not who he is now and yeah no way you know what i mean so there's just yeah she's also crazy i just love that that film came out and i feel like that was a time where women weren't didn't have roles like that no so i know it's I thoroughly enjoyed the rewatch, and also Amy has, like, a great, I mean, spoiler, guys, but she hits her, she hits her face with a hammer to make her, like, look bruising and, like, unrecognizable and, like, kind of thing, and she's got, like, a really great, like, um, bruising mark as well from, like, the moment of impact Mm -hmm. and then the circle around it, and, like, she did really well. Yeah, there's some really great injury makeup. Even, um, what is the character who she meets Amy in the cabin. She's kind of the drifter character. Yeah. Great. Yeah, she's kind of the hillbilly, quote, yeah. quote unquote. Yeah. Like, that kind of, yeah. And when Amy's on the run, she meets this character, and, um, she, again, just a great job with the makeup. She gets a really good split lip. She gets kind of, they do a good job at making her look very edgy and uneasy, and it makes you as a viewer uncomfortable when the scenes are with Amy and her, because you're like, ah, you look, it's very two unpredictable women in the same room, what is going to happen? (laughs) I think, like, every makeup look in that film is just extremely organic to the character. Yeah, definitely. I feel like. And so, uh, on that note, let's go into our another one. Let's go into our next... Yeah. Dissection, have you? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it up. Oh, actually, I just need a. I mentioned this yesterday when we recorded, but then had te- technical difficulties. <laughs> but I definitely want to bring this up again. Um, so when I was listening back to what we recorded the other day, mm-hmm. um, the, first the day, usable day one. audio, <laughs> day one, um, I just need to apologize because I was one dark cherry white claw down and suddenly started talking with this really weird Boston, oh like, American <laughs> news reporter yeah. accent, and I just can't let this go. Like, I need to bring it up. I mean, my accent already isn't charming. It's in the mishmash. <laughs> but, my God, like, what a disgrace it was to my citizenship. It was so, like, yeah, Ben Affleck, let me tell you how you want it. Yeah, I'm going to shit on Ben Affleck. 
<laughs> yeah, I was just like, Jesus Christ. I think I was like overly dehydrated. No, and I even like put ice cubes in my white claw. Oh, but you know what? It has that effect. Mm-hmm. Everyone. I mean, I have like half a glass of wine and I'm way. <laughs> Daniel's like, oh, she's a cool girl. She is a cool girl. Well, she thinks she is with her two tablespoons of Merlot. Um, <laughs> don't even stress about it. I think I'm rubbing off on you um, with my poor language skills. It's okay. Um, and we even then have that beautiful segment in yesterday's <laughs> recording that didn't work out where I just, we go on to talk about like British foods and I went off about a good battered sausage and a pork pie, See, a scotch egg. Exactly. And I mean, it was maybe for the best that the viewers won't listen to that now, but I want you guys to know that it was there. The conversation was had. It, it was. And just in defense of Ruby's accent and her Britishness, a week ago, Ruby and I talked on the face on FaceTime as we do uh, on the FaceTime. Oh God, Grandma, <laughs> <laughs> who are you? Um, Jesus, one glass of wine. I mean, it's not. I haven't had a glass of wine today. It's like nine thirty in the morning. But you wouldn't know it by my personality and my energy. Mm-mm. That's what you get. Um, what was I even just talking? Oh yes, one of our many FaceTimes that we have on a daily basis um, while we're in this quarantine together. We talked about Ruby was making supper and she pulls out this jar of pickled onions and she just starts eating them whole, eating onions, uh, like Shrek in a way. Mm -hmm. And she explains to me that that's a very British normal thing, as well as pickled eggs, as well as scotch eggs. So... Pork pies. Yeah, minced pies, which you made for me this Christmas. Mm -hmm. Hot cross buns. Classic. Like the song. Yeah. Okay, you guys have that. Right. But I've never... Branston pickle. Oh, Branston Pickle. I'm more of a kosher pickle lady, as you know. Okay, Branston Pickle isn't, it's more of like a relish, uh, have you? Oh, okay. Yeah, but I, I agree with the kosher pickles. Um, in the UK, we call pickles gherkins. Oh, that sounds like a munkin yes. to me. I don't like that. I don't <laughs> like that at all. <laughs> Was it weird for you when you first came to Canada and you went to the grocery store and you were like, what? Yeah. A pickle? <laughs> yeah, like... Um, eggplant is different. It's aubergine back home. Oh, weird. That's is it aubergine? Well, aubergine is a shade of purple. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. See, and this is bad. Like I can't even remember. That's so, that's um, so and then like coriander and cilantro. That's another one. There was definitely like a few things that I had to Google and I had to really work out. It was really difficult. I remember asking someone in class for a rubber. And everyone laughing. Like a and I condom? was like, I just, no, an eraser. But in oh. the UK, it's called a rubber. Oh, big difference. Like, I was like, can I have a rubber? No, and someone difference. was like, what? <laughs> Huge difference here. That's so yeah. funny. And I was like, freshly turned 20 and like, was my first time living out of home. And I was like, I don't know what any of this is. <laughs> uh, okay, so. On that note. On that note, let's, let's really crack on. <laughs> okay, so if Buffy doesn't sound that enthused, it's because she's already heard this. So I'm so sorry, friend. Lucky for you, I'm a good actress. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like I previously mentioned, I'm doing Nocturnal Animals. It's classified as a, an American neo-noir psychological thriller film. It was written, produced, and directed by Tom Ford and based on the 1993 novel Tony and Susan by Austin Wright. The film stars Amy Adams, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Shannon, Aaron Tigler-Johnson, Isla Fisher, Armie Hammer, Laura Linney, and Michael Sheen. So some huge wow, names. what a chocked full cast that is. So mm-hmm. many. Jake Gyllenhaal, 
love him. Amy Adams, love her. A couple others. Uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, love. Mwah, mwah. love. Mm-hmm. Wow, great. It was released great on, yeah, it was released on November 18th, 2016 in the United States. And here goes the film plot, friends, if you haven't heard it. Um, so it's about a successful Los Angeles art gallery owner and her idyllic life. She's married to a very handsome but constantly traveling husband. While he is away, she is shaken by the arrival of a manuscript written by her first husband, her divorced husband, Jake Gyllenhaal. Mm. Yeah, who she has not seen in years. The manuscript tells the story of a teacher who goes on a trip with his family and turns into a nightmare. As Susan reads the book, Susan is Amy Adams, as Susan reads the book, it forces her to examine her past and confront some dark truths. So we have some storylines that are running simultaneously. We have three, in fact. They're all linked. So we have one present day. What's Amy Adams reading the book? Right. This is her in her later years. Where she's married to when her I say later, second husband. Yes, yeah, who's constantly traveling. Right. And so she's very much alone. And when I say later years, I probably mean like a decade. Like we're not talking. She's She's not grandma. She, but she's in like the big house. She's made it. She's a successful career art gallery owner. She looks really different. What I'm gonna dive into with the makeup. Um, so there's a clear representation of all these different storylines. And then of course we have the uh, storyline that is well. Amy Adams is reading the book. So you know when you create like a visualization of the book you're reading. Yeah. That is like playing out as she's reading it. So that's like another version that we're following. Yeah. And what I find interesting with that is that she pictures her husband as the husband, her ex-husband, sorry, Jake Gyllenhaal as the husband in the book that she's reading. Oh, okay. So Jake Gyllenhaal is one, her first husband, but also who she pictures Mm -hmm. in the book as the, the story husband. Yes. And yes. And who plays his wife in it is Isla Fisher, who Amy Adams is constantly both of those actresses are compared to or mixed regularly up between. yeah they look so similar mm. also i love isla fisher to just give her a quick shout out um i love your husband as well probably in my top five you celebrity do. crushes sasha baron cohen you. if you ever hear this please let me meet you please please reach out <laughs> contact <Yeah>. me <laughs> anything we can get ice cream just leave, <laughs> please just even leave me a voice note seriously an email anything courier pigeon <laughs> i'm down i'm so down so yeah so there's that storyline running as well so it's the book version and then we also are flashing back to the past where amy adams was married to jake gyllenhaal when they were a lot younger okay okay yeah so there's a few jumps but it sounds a bit confusing if you haven't seen it but it's very much edited and displayed in a easy format nice have you yeah um so nocturnal animals actually came from jake Gyllenhaal's character the name he gives to amy adams when they're married and um they they have a really bad breakup she actually does something not that great to him and it breaks his heart and it ends extremely badly and he nicknames amy adams nocturnal animals throughout their relationship when it was good because she is nocturnal she can never sleep she has trouble sleeping so when he sends her this book out of the blue it's dedicated to her and it's called nocturnal animals Creepy. so that's why the story is like quite thriller infused because it's like this i haven't this is my ex-husband's book and their whole problem for the whole relationship is that she didn't believe in him as a writer like and he knew that yes yeah he was a freelance writer and she just never so when they were together nocturnal 
animal was like a pet name in like a cute way and then when he sends her this manuscript after they've had this huge breakup and burning bridge and they don't talk now it's kind of flipped on its head and it's almost like shady a little bit it is yeah i think scary so it's like a bit like Mm -hmm. a little creepy and i think it just um it's definitely very unsettling and it communicates that he hasn't forgotten what she's done to him and he's like put that energy into book form Mm -hmm. and is having his book published and it's like gonna be a big deal um and he's dedicated it to her so it's kind of like i did it fuck you and like yeah fuck you yeah yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And the stylization is so linked between all the different stories that are being told and the production design purposely leaves Easter eggs throughout the film that mimic the setting of the book. It's very artfully interwoven. So I'm going to talk about Tom Ford, our sweet, sweet director, and also a huge American fashion designer, launching his brand Tom Ford in 2006, having previously served as a creative director at Gucci and Yves Saint Laurent. Ford wrote and directed the Academy Award-nominated films A Single Man in 2009. 2009? 2009? Who am I? 2009. Oh, my God. Grandma! (laughs) And Nocturnal Animals. So he's only done two films. And I remember first, like, researching after the film was done, and I just, like, my brain was going blank. And I was like, Tom Ford. Like, I think I've heard that name. And then I was like, oh, God. Like, he was, like, in his 40s when he released Nocturnal Animals. He's only done one other film. Like, this is incredible. Like, you can really become something at any age. (laughs) And I don't know why I was just leading with such naivety. And then I suddenly clicked, and I was just like... Oh, Tom F- Oh, the multi-million dollar luxurious fashion brand. I... Oh, okay. And I had wow. no idea before... I had no idea that he wrote and directed films. He also has, like, an amazing makeup line. Um, yep. Some great products. He does. I had no idea he dabbled in film as well. Yeah, and, like, he's only directed and, like, written two, but they're both extremely good films. Wow. So, Jack of all trades. You know, it makes sense that they would be stylized, given that he is um, into, like, fashion and cosmetics and, like, very style industries. Yeah, absolutely. It- I think it's a very striking film in many different areas, and I think that definitely comes into Tom Ford having such excellent taste in finer details. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, just to touch on Tom Ford's beauty line and his makeup line... Um, I'm a really big fan of the blush by him called um, Frantic Pink. It's a compact powder blush. Very gentle, very fun, very relatable. I was going to say, now isn't that, is that not my personality 24-7? Fitting. <laughs> I'm a frantic pink. <laughs> I would say, if I, had to, if I had to label myself, I'm a nice NARS orgasm. No, no way. <laughs> Tom Ford Frantic Pink. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, wasn't it Too Faced that had that wild palette that was like, Jesus Christ, guys. There was like a blush called Deep Throat. That's NARS. NARS. Was it NARS? Yeah. I thought it was Too Faced. I, I think it was NARS. Hold on. Let me just fact check that yeah. really quick. And I just remember, I think someone had a palette of it and we were all just like, this is extremely dated and never, not okay now, wasn't okay back then. Mm-hmm. Like, who like there might be young girls that get this palette or young boys or anyone and they're like what does it mean to, what do you mean like deep throat is my blush color yes it is nars it is nars, NARS? yeah nars has orgasm deep throat and they also have overlust so interesting names interesting indeed yeah a bit a bit unsettling. and i guess it's whoever you <laughs> take that i think we were just writing continuity notes and we were like what I have to send this to the producers. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. So, yes, let's move on to makeup. So we have another Montreal uh, born or based, have you, um, makeup artist here. Well, it's very exciting. His name is Donald Mowat. You don't pronounce the T, um, so sorry if I am. My As we've established, my accent is everywhere. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, Donald Mowat's career spans over 25 years, and his impressive credits include Spectre, Sicario, Skyfall, Nightcrawler, Blade Runner 2049, Prisoners, The Fighter, 8 Mile, and that's just to name a few. Wow. Along with working as a personal makeup artist for Daniel Craig, in relation to this, because of Mowat's stellar credit history, he's also worked closely with Jake Gyllenhaal, Mark Wahlberg, and Ryan Gosling. Yep. Wow, he's... what a crazy career. Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. extensive resume. Oh, yeah. Beautiful resume. Like a lot of our makeup artists that we talk about do. Just definitely, yeah. Very successful and amazing project that they've worked on and influenced. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Donald Mowat's awards include a Primetime Emmy, a Saturn Award, two Hollywood Makeup Artist Guild Awards, and two Gemini Awards. And also in 2012, Mowat received Her Majesty's Diamond Jubilee Medal for his service to the film industry and various charities. Just a few. Just a few. Just a he's couple. Established. One or two. Whatever. I guess he's professional. <laughs> you could say that. You could say he's a working artist. Mm-hmm. If you could. Um, <laughs> so, Donald Mowat is one of the film industry's most sought-after makeup artists, and I think his work strongly reflects why. But with a good head of department comes a great team, so here are some names for recognition of their equal hard work in Nocturnal Animals. Um, so this is just something I pulled from IMDb. So it's Jason Collins, Marie Del Pret, Anthony Gordon, Ruth Haney, and Elaine L. Offers. So thank you very much. Round of applause for you too. So I have some facts about the makeup, believe it or not. <laughs> Are you ready for this again? Let's yes, go. Yes, <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> so I'm going to begin with the dark scene. It's, again, trying not to spoil anything, but it's set in the book version of the film. Um, so it's Amy Adams reading the book, and it's a scene from the book, have you? And it's very upsetting. Um, so we have a scene with two women naked and unconscious, and this is a big scene, and unfortunately these women have experienced trauma. So with this in mind, Mo wanted to show wounds, dirt, bruising. This was reflective of these fictional traumatic events. Moat originally thought it would be a violent visual impact, but Ford objected. He wanted angelic, still, translucent white skin. So Moat took down the casualty makeup and just left a gash of blood that reflected the direct storytelling of a previous scene. Then Moat used full body makeup on the two actresses to give them this paler translucency and just very like angelic, beautiful look. Like it wasn't like a corpse. It was, or like extreme casualty. It was Mm -hmm. just so solemn and sad and just a very angelic, beautiful visual. Um, And it wasn't, you weren't like, oh, God, the casualty makeup, ah, what it would have been. Yeah. It was just like this very, like, in the film, it was described as just this, we know what's happened. We don't need to see it. Yeah, and it almost gives you a different feeling, mm-hmm. like, almost a feeling of, um, like, loss of innocence. Um, like, we talked about, like, the slaughtering of a lamb, where it's, like, this, like, pure, precious thing that you feel like you have to protect, and then you see, like, next to blood, it's a very big contrast and mm-hmm. also, like, it's interesting that Tom Ford described, like, that he wanted it angelic and still, given that they did go through a lot of trauma and eventually death. Um, obviously, like, um, angel, death, interesting contrast there, too. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. And 
Moa said once he saw this on camera, he saw Ford was trying to achieve this story. The way it was being filmed was enough to implement, implement sorry, what had happened to these women without showing it. So having the composition of them and the way the scene reflects, it just, like we said, is just a very sad visual, making it more emotional because mm-hmm. your brain is imagining what happened. And also the storyline, this version of it, is happening in the book. And that's living through the mind of Amy Adams' character as she's reading the book. So maybe she wouldn't have imagined that casualty makeup on them yeah. in the book, right? Like, maybe yeah. her mind didn't go there. Um, so my take on that is that Moet and Ford collaborated on, what's, on what scenes and plot lines needed makeup and where it was necessary, thinking of the film and story above their own creative needs. Um, what I think is really important, and I've watched many films where the makeup is minimal, in some areas where it could have been more, but I have said I would just have loved to have worked on that film because the story it's telling. Like, it doesn't matter about my makeup needs and what I find cool and what's awesome. It's just the story and the collaborative effort. And I feel like, yeah, it, like, made sense that they didn't need to have those casualty makeups. Yeah, And the visual's so striking as well when you see them. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, sometimes it's better to be um, kind of shown less bluntly I guess like sometimes I feel like you get more of an emotional response when you leave it more up to the viewer to figure out in their head what might have happened it's like in some ways like in some horror movies um you might not see someone killed you might hear them scream and then you might see the aftermath but it's it's almost worse that way because then you don't know what happened yeah you know? I agree yeah. yeah completely and I also just want to touch upon that when you're when you're approaching a scene that is of that is very emotional and you are getting your actor ready and realizing that the makeup you're applying is indicative of something violent, there has to be a sensitivity there. You need to be able to read the room, I think, as a makeup artist and mm-hmm. like as a crew member. And I just think makeup can be an incredibly nurturing job and you have to know what's coming up. Like, yes, because of continuity and being good at your job, but also to know what your cast member is preparing for. You're, you're a team and you're there to support and nurture and help like relate the story in any way. And we work directly with the people performing in front of the camera. Yeah. And I think there is nothing more satisfying to me than when having actors in an emotional scene and they say, I feel safe with you, or can you be close to me in case I need you? I just think it's a very important part of the job. And I think there's nothing worse than not having your actor comfortable with you. And like we kind of talked about this the other day, how like your first impression of each other is that you're literally touching them. Like you've entered their social bubble. You're already like in their space more than any other crew member or stranger is. The only other person they might have that with is another actor. Yeah, and on top of that, you're also, generally they start their day with you, they probably Mm -hmm. end their day with you, so you're with, and and it's a lot of alone time with you, you know, when Mm -hmm. they're in your chair for an hour, it's just you two talking, so they're starting their day with you, and then they go, they do all this stuff on set, and then they come and they sit in your chair, and that's kind of where they decompress after the day, so a lot of the time you're taking in their stress, or their, you know, whatever it may be, you're the kind of, you kind of become the person that they lean on a little. Yeah, and I think that's what the job comes with. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, and I think I, you just I, have to feed off each other's energies. Definitely, I, to- I totally agree with you that it is a really big compliment when your actor does tell you, like, um, do you mind being in the room with me, or do you mind just standing where I can see you even, like, because it does make you feel, as a makeup artist, you think, okay, good, they trust me, they are comfortable with me, um, not just, obviously, the makeup that I'm doing, but also who I am, and so it does mm-hmm. make, it makes you feel like you've done a good job at 
your job, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's like a professional friendship. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk about Amy Adams' character's look, the version of her that's reading the book, the one we're following on present day. Mm-hmm. Um, so the one that owns the art gallery, the very successful businesswoman. Married to the second husband. Married to the second husband living in the big house. Right, Yeah. okay. Um, so Amy Adams uh, wears very deep colors in makeup. She's got always a smoky eye, a dark lip. The colors are deep purples, browns, reds, black. They are all very visually strong. It's all very heavily applied, I think. And Moet said that he was trying to make Adams appear through a different lens. It looks slightly off. He said it was hard to, like, because as a makeup artist, you want to correct and just adjust and, like, match. Mm -hmm. But he did make her skin slightly whiter. Her hair was poker straight. He did not want her to look like herself. It is a pretty makeup. Like, it's well applied. But you are not completely buying it, if that makes sense. What kind of feeds into her, like, fictitious life and how if she followed her heart and what she wanted, like, 10 plus years ago was staying with Jake Gyllenhaal, but she was influenced by people around her and her mom and everyone being like, you're too good for him. You come from a, you're cut from different cloth, like, etc. And I just think that's playing, like, it's also a passage of time, Mm -hmm. um, but also who she is. And it just doesn't look. Like, it's, it's cool, but it's just very intense and, like, yeah. uh, robotic of, like, I must look perfect. Let me put mask on my face. I was just going to say, it sounds very, like, ma- this is what pe- everyone wants me to be. This is what I will be. This is my mask of what I will look like. Yeah, and what's f- interesting is that when you see some of her colleagues that she works with at the art gallery, they are all so similar. And the way they are dressed, represented, it's all in a similar light. And I think it just amplifies how fictitious her happy and career mm-hmm. art to her there's such a lack of depth yeah, there definitely. and it's also art it's an art gallery what I also find really interesting as a career very, choice for her yeah very opposing that um everyone at the art gallery looks the same and dresses the same when when you mm-hmm. think of art you think very individuality uniqueness um representing yourself on in your art so it's kind of yeah. an interesting contrast between Oh, yeah, absolutely. Who she is and what she does. <laughs> and it's it's beautifully applied and it's well lit. It's just very, like, there's there's been a passing of time. And because when you're flashing back to her, when she's married to Jake Gyllenhaal, when they're younger, she's got wave to her hair. She's very natural looking, super minimal. The makeup is pure symbolism of past and present as well as a change from within the character. Yeah, it almost seems like when she was with Jake Gyllenhaal, she was more herself and she didn't feel the need to hide under all of the makeup or the clothes or whatever and also i just want to like kind of slide into the male makeup of this production it's very minimal there isn't much but i just love that when they're in the book version it's set in the desert and we've got aaron taylor johnson he's got like i can find if they were his own or ones they applied on him but I think they were his own grown in and just shaped that way but he's got like these girls mun chops and he's super kind of painted the picture of a violent unintelligent outback man with a history of like being a shitty human being quite frankly um and like his opening how we're introduced to him he's like taking a shit on his porch in a toilet kind of vibe nice kind of vibe that is what happens (laughs) yeah so and he's like you know got this like kind of sun damaged skin he's sweaty he's greasy he's got these like mutton chops he's got greasy like shoulder length hair Mm -hmm. um it's just such a contrast to then those individuals and how that's playing out to then flashing back to like her reading and being in this perfect pristine world and then flashing back to them as um young adults and 
like the men not being represented in that way. So there's just these very clean cut, like this is this story, this is this story, this is this story, and they're all intertwined, but it's so easy to spot what story line we're on what like whilst watching and i think that's obviously because of mode and his team and their clear um decisions to like amp up the makeup take away the makeup like mm-hmm. how we you know let's use some etiquette effects because we're here in the book um so yeah that's kind of what i have on nocturnal animals as a whole and mode got two bafta nominations and has taught me so much in this research i did on this man he is honestly just such an artist and i just love that he was being interviewed and it was something like he's like it really does take 10 years and i think that with anything he's like 10 years is where i suddenly finally started to be comfortable and i started to know and i started to get better opportunities and i started to take jobs because i like the script better in this one and he talks about how all the mistakes he made uh, he was like i wasn't a good makeup artist when i started i just was a good person and i was keen to be there and he talks about how he did stuff he worked on the fly with Jeff Goldblum Mm -hmm. and how he did stuff wrong on that all the time. But the team, when he was a trainee, was brought him back because they liked who he was. And he, I like that he, you know, isn't this, I'm a award-winning makeup artist. I'm the be all end all. I know everything. He's like, no, like I've learned so much because I've done this for 30 years, but I was just a really good, keen human being. And I made mistakes, but I like, I'm not gonna hide that I made mistakes. No. And I just I, enjoyed watching him talk about that. Yeah, I, I think that it's really refreshing to, when you hear someone who has so much success in their field, and, I mean, he's done, like you said, he's worked on a bunch of the James Bond franchise, like, clearly a very talented man. Mm-hmm. But it's really refreshing to hear him say, like, it's more about the person you are than what you can do, if that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, your skill will forever develop if you're heading in the exactly. right way. Yeah. But your personality, I think that's harder to change. And I definitely have heard mm-hmm. from heads of departments that they will employ someone who's eager to learn than who has the most beautiful portfolio resume if their attitude stinks. Yeah, and I mean, you're spending so much... We've talked about this before, I'm sure, but you're spending so much time with these people who are on your team. Like, we're talking like 15, 16 hours a day, five, sometimes six days a week. Mm-hmm. And if you don't like the people that you're working with, it makes it that much harder. But when you're going to set and you get to work with people that you really get along with and that you think are really great people, it just makes the days go so much faster. It makes them so much more fun. I think back to like when we worked on The Order. Um, yeah. Like with like, you and Brooke and Jen. And um, that was just such a fun trailer to be in because I feel like we just all got along so well and even if there were some days that were really chaotic and really hectic and we were like oh my god at the end of the day it was still fun because we'd sit down in our chairs at lunch and we'd laugh about it so yeah exactly it's important to find those moments um and I also talking like as you mentioned like working on the Bond franchise um Mo had actually talked in this interview that I was um listening to that because of his long work history with Daniel Craig and on the Bond franchise, um, it was really hard for him because the film Dune came up that's coming out mm-hmm. and with uh, Denny Villeneuve that's directed, that's going to be a, it's a huge film. It's going to be yeah. insane. And he had to actually, Moet had to leave the Bond franchise to work on that. And that was like a huge moment for him because he didn't want to seem like he was jumping ship or he was leaving the production because he was grateful for what the opportunities and Bond had presented to him. But like Dune would provide more of a challenge. And he was like, it was so, it's so important to keep that creativity and to 
still like just hearing him talk about you know the trials and tribulations of still being an artist and like getting two job opportunities at once and what one to pick and what's going to be better for you and your head and heart and I know that like I've had those moments and it's truly like so tearful because you don't want to upset anyone and we work in a profession Mm -hmm. that's like there's so many rules and regulations yeah there's all these and it's all or nothing Yeah, yeah where it's like you know people will look down on you if you don't finish if you don't do the whole series if you only do mm-hmm. one season and then you go to a different show or um if you turn down a call you might not get another one so you have to take every single call you get and really I think at a certain point you have to just say like what do I want and what's going to make me happiest and what's going to challenge me the most and where where do I want to be yeah and like where am I in my life yeah right as now. opposed to where do other people want me to be yeah and when he made his decision Moet to go to Dune. He said that Daniel Craig, who had been the personal love for so long, was apparently so amazing and understanding and reacted like a genuine friend would. And he was generally happy for him and knew that Dune would be providing him the next step in his career. So that also, I'm just like, Daniel Craig, babe. <laughs> sweet, Mr. Bond. Sweet guy. He, I do like Daniel Craig, I have to say. Beautiful So eyes. handsome. So handsome. Very handsome man. But I think that also shows a really big thing of how we make things in our heads seem so much worse than they'll actually, you know what I mean? Like in your head, you're like, oh, they're going to hate me forever and I'm never going to be, you know what I mean? And then you actually do it and nine times out of 10, the thing that you were scared of and like the worst case scenario is actually not at all what happens. And like, no, it's actually the total opposite. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. There's been multiple times where I've been like crying on the phone to like a head of department or... Like, just being like, I feel bad because this come up or this has happened and I don't know what's going on. Or, like, you know, also just, like, life throws a spanner in yeah, the Yeah, life you happens. can't work. Yeah. And it's just, I totally get it. And it's so hard. And it's kind of, like, interesting because he was basically, like, Mo was basically saying that that doesn't stop. But you just have to do what's going to create it, like, what's going to be right for you and where you are in your life personally and also creatively and to keep pushing yourself as an artist. Yeah, definitely. And to not let that fear um, control you and to just just mm-hmm. say, you know what, this is what I want to do. This is what I'm going to do. And I think nine times out of ten, like I said, it the outcome is actually surprising and it's way, way better than what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, we're all just human beings at the end of the day. Exactly. We all want the same things. And dude, that was kind of my notes. That's me done. I it was like kind that. of short and sweet, but uh, I think we both picked really great thrillers and really great films so overall. Too. I was also going to say um, both very good female-led films, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Kudos mm-hmm. to Rosamund Pike and Amy Adams. Great job. And our absolutely amazing, beautiful makeup designers who help make these films so much better. Absolutely. Also, so funny that um, the character... Susan that Amy Adams plays in Nocturnal Animals that she's Mm -hmm. putting on this kind of front as her that her family is kind of like pressuring her to be and all this stuff also kind of happens in Gone Girl um yeah who Amy's parents is like you know they're authors and they write these books called Amazing Amy and they put on this pressure on Amy to be Amazing Amy and like isn't that so fucked up very and you can see how she how that childhood (laughs) has affected her life the whole whole life there's that scene where she's talking about Amazing Amy and it's like Amazing Amy learns the cello and then it like the real Amy is like my parents wrote that book and she becomes to be a child prodigy I gave up the cello and then she plays volleyball and Amazing Amy she makes varsity and then the real Amy is like oh I was dropped at college 
and it's, it's just like your parents literally wrote what they wanted you think to be. you should be like yeah and every single then failure made millions off the books from it and seriously yeah it's like no wonder you're fucking crazy yeah because you've had this like an unattainable pressure put on you by your parents um that are and it's not even just a personal pressure it's a pressure that they then sell to the entire world in the mm-hmm. form of children's storybooks so interesting that the both both of our characters um are products of it seems like a lot of parental pressure yeah, and also that there's writers in both film, like Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike are writers, yes. and yeah. Jake Dillenholz a writer. Yeah, wow, a lot of parallels there. Look at us. Ooh. We're so in sync. Thriller, baby. Should we uh, run the generator and discuss our uh, discover? I should say our next week's. Absolutely, selection? I really like this part. I imagine the generator like this old rusty uh, machine, like right, chugging yeah. along. And there's like a big handle that you like pull down. In reality, it's a website I pull up on my computer. But yes, but you guys can imagine the big machine that we yes. made, the combobulator. Have you? Yes, this is a fun new thing we do in season two. We're cool girls. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Fire okay, it up! I'm gonna click it. Here we go. Dun dun dun. Rom coms. Wow, wow, wee, wow. Wow, wow, wee, wow. Okay, I'm a little nervous about this one, but that's good. Just, like, curious about what research I can find. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't say there's a lot of, like, uh, heavy makeup rom-coms that come to he- my mind, but... We'll there's, just... like, the nutty professors and stuff. Like, I'm Is just thinking Eddie Murphy. But I don't know if it classifies as rom. I, I know I was... the com's there. The com is definitely there. I don't know if we can fill the rom gap, but... Mm. If you have any suggestions, please let us know. Yeah, if you want to send those suggestions along to us uh our email is blushandstuffpod at gmail.com or if you feel like sliding into our dms you could be the first one please Uh, (laughs) on instagram at blushandstuffpod or on twitter at blushandstuff underscore pod that's right you heard it here first but also before we go let's give them a product ah yes i always forget that one don't worry me too i just remember because it's written in front of me (laughs) thank god thank god for that (laughs) We have a very, very cool product to talk about this week, actually. Um, So if you remember from our very first episode of Blush and Stuff ever, we talk about Donnie Davey, who is the makeup artist for Euphoria. Sweet Baby Angel, HBO's Euphoria. (sighs) Such a good show. Such a good makeup. Absolutely. Still enamored and in love. Everything about that show is amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. We could probably go on for another episode, so we'll just end it there. (laughs) If you're curious, go back to episode one. You can um, hear me fangirl. (laughs) Donnie Davey talks about how she and her team utilized this product called Face Lace a lot uh, when they were designing the makeup looks for Euphoria, which is basically just little um, face-safe stickers, basically, that you can add to the face, and they just give a different texture, and they add, like, kind of a 3D element to any makeup. They have really cool sparkly ones or holographic ones. They have, like, all different shapes. The holographic ones are so cool. Yeah, they're really, really cool. Um, Donnie Davey uses them particularly on the character of Jules in Mm -hmm. Euphoria for a lot of her looks. So, really cool thing happened recently. Donnie Davey actually partnered with Face Lace, and they designed kind of a Euphoria crossover Face Lace where you can get um, kind of little cloud shapes that go around the eyes, and they're to mimic a makeup that Donnie Davey did on the character of Jules. So... Very cool. I've been loving all the Instagram pictures she's posting of people using them, and they just are so cool, and I really want some. Good Another job. pure artiste. True. She is just chef's kiss. Mwah. 
the talent. I need to get my hands on some of those. Same. I think it'll be a while, friend, but... But I want to use them on myself. Our time will come. Same. I'm going to hog them for myself, 100%. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then I think our tip is going to be, like, an older tip. Not from this time period. Maybe from a... Millennia? Yeah. A long, long, long time ago. Many, Um, many moons. (laughs) I recently found out that apparently... Um, during the olden days, um, and I'm talking about like, you know, I was going to say kings and queens and villages, and I was like, that's still a thing now. Um, like Victorian times kind of vibe. Um, so syphilis was on the rise, (laughs) fun fact, and people were using dead rat skin to cover, yeah, super cute, um, to cover like soles on their face. And this is where the term like beauty mark came from is because of these like darkish like rat skin things covering basically open wounds and then they would obviously like powder their face with freaking zinc and aluminum i don't know cancer straight up cancer in a bucket yeah and then you were saying (laughs) yesterday when we talked about this that they carried around an orange so they wouldn't stink as bad well they Um, wouldn't no because they wouldn't they didn't want to smell so they'd like hold the orange to their nose because people's like breath smelled so bad and there was like horse poop and human poop and like just dead people everywhere so the they, would, they would carry the orange to smell jesus christ i know i have a question for you on your tip um yeah. did you discover this tip while you were doing your wizard of oz research did that come <laughs> out of that not. website <laughs> <laughs> was that the same time no no it wasn't that was that research was just me with my jaw on the floor like what is happening what <laughs> happened a hundred years ago why oh god honestly no thankfully they the only animal skin they used was on the lion costume oh great no dead rats to the face (laughs) the only animal skin (laughs) i know that's Uh, not a good sentence is it the only animal skin they used was the lion carcass that they made him wear that was all (laughs) they went easy on him no rodents no ratatouille don't you worry i just think of the and like it's literally it's an open wound on your face i just it actually makes me wrench like the germs that you're just allowing into your body <laughs> i'm pretty sure like if teeth fell out back then too they just put like a wooden peg in your mouth oh yeah so well, there's my little crazy gross tip for you and i love we your don't product. recommend following it don't follow it though no don't. no no that was just fun for like guys look how far we've come and look at what beauty <laughs> look at mark means Woo, antibiotic <laughs> <laughs> on that note friend is this a wrap on this episode i think it is a wrap Amazing. I think that's a wrap on Thriller. I Love think you've it. already signed out. You've already told the people what they need. They know the information. They do. Um, and if not, it's always in our description. So um, you can find it there also. We hope you have a great week. And Ben Affleck, please don't sue us. And Buffy, to finalize, I will happily be the Anne to your Leslie Nope. Oh, I've been waiting for that answer. Thank you. Full circle. Thank Full you. Full circle. Yet another duo that we represent. Let's add it to the list. Amazing. I can't wait. (laughs) Okay, bye guys. Bye. Bye.